Attention. It's time to register for Elusian Live 2024, April 7th through 10th in San Antonio, Texas. Illuminate, innovate, inspire, explore higher education's greatest opportunities with future ready ideas, solutions, and best practices designed to drive transformation. Register now at elive.elusian.com. This conference is going to be epic. By now, you've heard me talk about Insights EDU in Phoenix, Arizona, February 20 through 22nd. Here's why I think you should join us at the Insights EDU conference. It's one of the few conferences focused on helping schools serve today's online and non-traditional students. If you're concerned at all about where your enrollments are going to come from in 2024 and beyond, and you should be concerned, you need to be at this conference. Register now at insightsedu.com and use promo code EDUP to save $50. Prepare to be astonished. Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to EDUP on the EDUP Experience podcast, where we, where we make education your business. I'm your guest host for this episode, Bill Pepicello. I'm the host of my own podcast, Ed Up Insights, and author of the book, Leadership on the Field of Play, that's available on Amazon. And today I'm filling in for Dr. Joe Saluscio, who's the usual host here, but um, occasionally I get to be the substitute teacher when Joe is, uh, is otherwise occupied. So today I have with me a special guest host, Dr. Tony Cruz, who's president at Miami-Dade College, Kendall Campus President. Tony, welcome. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate it. Great to be here. Glad to have you here. And our special guest is Les Stretch, who's the Manning, managing principal at McNair Interests and who is the head of McNair Living, which we'll talk about uh, today. Les, welcome to the show. I appreciate it, Bill. Thank you for that. And looking forward to the discussion. Okay. Well, to, uh, to start, this is a, an interesting uh, episode because Les has some uh, interesting ties to higher education. And so uh, we'll start, Les, by asking you to, to tell us a little bit about McNair interests and McNair living, um, what you do and how you do it. Yeah, you bet. I think uh, the connection point was um, varsity. Uh, we're, in short, we're building um, uh, retail over residential environments on university campuses in partnership and full affiliation um, with uh, Power Five universities across the country. And um, I think the, the easiest way to start is I would call myself a recovering uh, senior living developer. Um, there's recovering attorneys that realize they need to stop <laughs> and make, make change of course. And, and um, you know, for the last uh, decade plus, I, I've um, had the opportunity to create environments for aging uh, throughout the Southeast and, and uh, Mid-Atlantic. And um, I realized as I looked that um, one of the biggest things that was missing in the environments we were building is it's largely we were warehousing older adults in America like we warehouse our self-storage, uh, things we don't need anymore, meaning they're moving slower. And so we're going to, out of convenience, store them on the edge of town and, 
and, and honestly, Bill, I, I, I realized we need to do things uh, different. And so it was fortunate. Uh, and, and again, we've done some incredible things uh, across the country. And that's kind of an industry um, progression within senior living. Um, it started out of, as nursing homes and um, it kind of moved a very clinical environment into what you see today, which is a lot more residential. But there's still that separation, meaning by age and ability on the edge of town. And so um, I was approached uh, because of some success that I'd had developing um, senior living environments across uh, the eastern United States uh, by a family office. Um, and really, my, my heart cry was to find missionally aligned capital. These are pretty expansive, you know, uh, four, five, six, 10, 15 acre developments. And so there's a lot of capital that comes behind them to get them stood up. And um, uh, a family that was wanting to do more good, uh, the McNair family out of Houston, and uh, they uh, stood up a Houston NFL franchise uh, when they saw that that was lacking uh, 20 years ago and have had success doing that. And um, there was a desire to do more good uh, with the money that they, they'd made. And, um, and so the way that they've run that uh, McNair interest is, is uh, kind of focused on transformational investments, uh, life science, um, real estate is a core focus. And so they approached to say, um, if you had the opportunity to, um, to do something different uh, within it, building environments for aging, um, we, we would love to back you. And so a couple of years ago, we stood up McNair living uh, within a uh, wholly owned subsidiary of McNair Interest. And our focus has been um, these changing American trends. And then I'll get to, to varsity. You see the um, kind of that age of 65, 75, 85, these boomers that are aging, you're seeing it within the American dynamic. They've changed everything they touched. They made it okay for uh, women to, to leave the home and go work and build careers. They, um, uh, it was okay to not work at the same job for 30 years. Uh, you can actually make a shift in your career if you don't like it. You didn't have to stay there. And also there's this really unique movement happening across the country with lifelong learning. And that was really the tea that started about what's happening with this lifelong learning movement across America, meaning 40 and 50 and 60 years old, that it's, it's, a, it's a push to start advancing that you don't fade away as you age. So that led to some unique conversations over the last several years and when really the birth of varsity about what's happening on university campuses and uh, speaking to you, Bill, and you, Tony, uh, you can speak infinitely better than I can about what's on the changing dynamic. But from the outside, uh, looking in, a couple of things that we picked up was there was a significant push for this diversity, equity, and inclusion movements. And as we started conversing with some of these larger higher um, education institutions, uh, we would say what what impacts have you had or what, what, what initiatives do you have going on in the DEI front? And they would say, well, we're doing this for racism and, and sexism. And then we would say, what about ageism? As you look on campus, how do you create age diversity on campus? And they would start in, in really insightful conversations about the desire to have a changing student over the years and decades to come as it's becoming more appropriate for age to diverse side within the classroom and then also eventually residentially on campus. So kind of those four or five things that we noticed from the outside, one was uh, an awareness around creating age diversity. There's this enrollment cliff that was a lot of discussion where in 2025, 26, um, there's a, a, a lower number of potential college students because there was a reduction in, in births in the United States. 
And universities are pushing for alumni engagement, meaning the more that there's the, the affection that they felt towards their university, they were able to get closer to the university. It led towards higher giftings and endowments, which the university. But the, the, the really interesting thing was this experiential learning movement on campuses as we were having conversations with universities about what it looked like to expand the living uh, user group on campus. Uh, the opportunity for partnerships and affiliations with the different colleges, if we were to come build an environment for aging, for alumni to come back and reconnect with their university. And, um, and so then there's the last point was constantly brought up. There was a monetizing unused land, which we could do. And so um, that was really the birth point of, of Varsity, our inaugural project will be up on the Purdue campus in West Lafayette University, which will be Varsity at Purdue. And then there's a subsequent uh, groupings of things that are coming behind that. So those American trends that we noticed um, about uh, boomers and aging and uh, really a study of these blue zones that are areas of, the, of America or areas of the world where people are consistently living past 100. Um, all, all of the confluence of those different times to study and a, and a backing of a, a missionally aligned capital partner was the birth of this varsity concept. Wow. Well, first of all, on, on behalf of the boomers, uh, you're welcome for us uh, changing. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, they're uh, not going to put up with what they were dealt. Uh, that's for sure. So they, yes. they want to continue to push and, the needle. And on behalf of all of us who are well, 65, 75, 85, somewhere in there, I'm not going to tell you exactly where I am. Thank you. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the, your, the recognition of the convergence of trends is uh, is really interesting, especially from my perspective. First of all, because it's it's an academic thing. I mean, I can point to all sorts of uh, reports and uh, studies that talk about all these convergences, but you actually did something about it, um, which is which is commendable, certainly in, in the McNair family. And I don't know if you're aware, but here in uh, in Tempe. Arizona, we have a, uh, a senior living uh, establishment called Mirabella. Very familiar with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's on the ASU campus. And Tony, I don't know if you are, you know about that, but ASU is, is very forward thinking and they had some land and they had an interest in the, in the DEI and, um, and went in on that project. And it's, uh, it's a very nice development. Uh, I get I, I get mail from them all the time saying, don't you want to come here? You're old. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not moving. Um, it's interesting. It was interesting about that development, um, Bill, is um, I don't know if you've seen in the news, there's been a couple of Wall Street Journal articles about the development, and it was a significant conflict. There's a, a, a longstanding student beloved um, dance club techno dance club where the club beats start banging around midnight or 1 a.m and we're talking a deep bass and so what ended up happening is as residents started moving in surprisingly they weren't very excited about 1 a.m club beats thumping their windows and shaking and so uh the benefit of having a missionally aligned capital is it allowed us the time to kind of look at the landscape over the last 30 years of any environment for aging that had an affiliation with a college and to say what has gone well and what has not gone well. Uh -huh. And one of those things is on campus is crucial 
for programmatic tie-ins between um, the, the living environment and the university, but proximity to all the other neighbors uh, that may not be great neighbors. Um, and again, if you're the students, you're thinking this is our favorite place to go. And so uh, I think that's ongoing um, issues, but the heart, it was troubling from the outside. It made us sad uh, because the students got very frustrated with the residents because they're saying, turn the music down and the residents are frustrated with the students. And that's the heart of varsity is that all ages, all abilities are able to live and learn together. So you've got to be thoughtful on where you develop on campus. Very, very thoughtful. Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, it's, I was aware of that, uh, that controversy and it's uh, for your benefit, Tony, it's the, the development is like right across the street from the campus. Right. So it's, it's not pushed off to the edge anywhere. It, it's integrated. Um, yeah. So before I throw it over to you, Tony, could you say just a word less about um, what you might know about how um, we're incorporating lifelong learning into this kind of a, a relationship in some of your institutions? Yeah, you, you bet. That's the exciting thing is, um, it, you know, the idea, I'm, I, I just had my birthday yesterday at 45 years old. I would say that I'm, I would like to crescendo through the rest of my life. And so uh, I'm definitely old, very, very old when I teach on university campuses, like they're asking me if I need to bring a walker because I'm so <laughs> old. Right? But I've spent my career around older adults. And if you if you create moments, and that's what's beautiful about real estate, to allow community, you can't force friendship and you can't force relationship, but you can force through real estate, the instances for through proximity for relationships to blossom. So if older adults and alumni were on the edge of town, there's no way they would ever interact with students. And so these initiatives that popped up all over the country um, of uh, Osher Lifelong Learning is one of the top learning lifelong learning institutes. and. Um, Oftentimes when we meet with universities, they already have those up and running. There's a Big Ten university that has a top 10 OSHER uh, that we've been in uh, discussions with and moving before the Board of Regents for approval right now. Um, but the process is that they would move that OSHER learning. We build space for it to move inside so they have class A space that they're operating out of. And the goal is to serve different demographics, not just locals. It's locals and alum that are moving back to campus. And then also put on intergenerational learning events for students to come and potentially use alumni as mentors. And so there's this cross lifelong learning institute where it's lifelong learning can often become, oh, that's where old people go take classes. And so our heart is to advance the movement of lifelong learning into more intergenerational learning. Uh, we believe that's kind of the next step over the next decade. Uh, branding always matters in business and it definitely always matters on campuses. So. Um, yeah, most of the, our conversations is that the universities are desiring for that to move, to have dedicated purpose-built space for their lifelong learning initiatives within our development. Well, first, let me say happy birthday. Um, oh. <laughs> Thanks. For the record, my kids are older than you. So that'll give you- uh, That's great. Well, that makes me feel great and young. I don't know about my children's, <laughs> but thanks. Now, Tony, I'm gonna throw this to you because you live someplace where there's lots of old people. Um, at least uh, that's what they say. So that's a perception, but yeah, sure. I mean, well, Florida, you... Florida is, I mean, Florida, I would say in general, yes, has a lot of seniors, but and older people, but uh, Miami is a little bit different. I mean, there is obviously a, um, a, a segment of the population that's older. Um, 
my, you know, I have a question for, for Les is that, you know, so, so these are, um, are they public private partnerships for the most part? Is that what you're doing with most of the, you said Purdue, yeah, they right? A, yeah, they take a couple of different forms. Um, and, and so, uh, yes, public private partnerships and on some fronts, I mean, we're coming on the private side with the university on the public. Uh, yeah. Oftentimes universities don't have the ability to sell land. And, and so we work through a long-term uh, land Please. lease. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah, that makes sense because I think that's, I, you know, as, as time has gone down here with, especially with uh, public universities, you know, funding, I mean, nationally has not been where it was years ago. And so we're always looking for opportunities to enter these, into these types of uh, partnerships with uh, private firms that are looking to do different things, right? I mean, in this case, you're looking at uh, building, you know, housing and and, and living uh, areas and common areas and things like that, and and provide these opportunities for for senior citizens. What's you mentioned Purdue? Uh, are you looking mostly at um, working with institutions that are in less populated areas, or more, or are you also looking at more uh, like metropolitan or urban areas? Yeah, we we um, over the last couple of years have put an algorithm together that kind of ranks on a variety of, of things. Uh, if you look at, you will use Purdue as an example. Um, West Lafayette's not necessarily a booming uh, mega primary market. <laughs> however, however, um, uh, Purdue has almost six hundred thousand living alumni and is constantly thought as a forefront of a learning institution in the sure. United States. Yeah. And so if you look at all of these different um, connection points, um, one of the things is we were had the chance to sit and think and, and audit and what's been successful in these in the past. One of the key, key connection points was um, a traditional environment for aging um, that, that's built. Residents are moving from within kind of a 15 mile drive radius, uh, okay. typically inside of these uh, environments that are built in connection with the university 43% of the residents come from outside of 50 miles and you kind of narrows down to, they either have a strong affection for their university as an alum. Mm -hmm. They have a strong affection for the university because they are a friend of the university. And it's been interesting talking to university presidents and chancellors and, and board of regents. They, they, they're saying some of our largest uh, contributors, both financially and from an engagement perspective are people who never had the opportunity to go to the university, but over time, whether it's through the reputation, they have really strong affection towards the university. So the beautiful thing about varsity, it allows them to actually have a residential and a learning connection later in life. Rather, they didn't have the opportunity, couldn't afford it, um, whatever the reason might be early in their life. And now this offers a second opportunity to come back. And, and it feels that, that those are all sticking points. Um, so back to your point, why, uh, which, which markets are we targeting? It's really ones that have a strong um, connection locally, um, primary markets that they may already be built in. Um, and, and then G uh, uh, kind of, it's a variety of factors, I would say, rather than uh, kind of listing them all out, but it, it works well within our algorithm. I mean, I think that the, you brought up a great point, I think multiple times about that engagement that they have with the university. And we've seen it even here and other institutions where I've worked that really the people that give the most, a lot of times are people that weren't even, they're not even alumni. There are people that uh, see, you know, there's, they formed over time, have formed some type of connection to the institution. And now they feel like- oh, you've okay, seen that. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. That. yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that some of the, the, the biggest donors to the college here are people who are not alumni or people who have 
they're in the community. You know, they're people that are well vested in yep. the community, very, you know, uh, very successful business owners and entrepreneurs. Um, but over time, they've seen, hey, you know what, I'm really connected to this institution based on my connection to the community. Uh, they somehow get more involved with the with the college and then end up, um, you know, uh, giving very large gifts. Uh, and so it doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen. And I can see where if you have this connection, you're building, you know, living right next to the university and those individuals are participating in cultural and, and you know, cultural events on campus, learn other, like you said, lifelong learning opportunities that that will, I, I think will definitely uh, help those universities in their, in their fundraising campaigns. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not. For a third straight year, the EdUp Experience will be recording live at Elusion Live 2024. This year in San Antonio, Texas, April 7th through the 10th. Illuminate, innovate, and inspire. That's the framework for the conference. Leaders from institutions around the world will converge at Elusion Live 2024 to discover game-changing technology, share industry insights, and build powerful connections. It's time to explore higher education's greatest opportunities with future-ready ideas, solutions, and best practices designed to drive transformation. You can register now at elive.elucian.com. Epic. Oh, yeah. You've heard me talk about the Insights EDU Conference. Well, let me tell you three reasons why I think everyone listening should join us in Phoenix, Arizona on February 20 through 22nd for Insights EDU. One, it's one of the few conferences focused on helping schools serve today's online and non-traditional students. Two, you can expect a mix of speakers you won't hear anywhere else, including higher ed leaders from Google, LinkedIn, Adobe, and more. And reason three, Insights EDU has an agenda packed with sessions discussing the latest trends in higher ed leadership, marketing, and enrollment management. Register now at insightsedu.com and use promo code EDUP to save $50 off your registration. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, it's interesting when you, we talk about this, when we meet with a university for the first few times and they say, we walk us through your process and how you've seen it be most effective. One of the look back periods over the last 30 years, there's been about 70 of these um, and the industry kind of referenced them as university-based retirement communities. So there's been about 70 of various levels of, of closeness uh, University of Texas in Austin is Longhorn Village. It's about 20 miles for campus. Okamak is University of Florida, just you know, several miles off of campus. And, and so we spent time looking at what were the, the key things that caused long-term success. And we would view long-term success as uh, consistently full, um, some sort of programmatic connection to the university. And uh, within the um, kind of real estate or a development industry or, or housing for um, aging environments. Um, those, those phrases were UBRC, which is university-based retirement community, ULRC, which is university-linked retirement community, and then UARC, university-affiliated retirement community. And if you were to Google any of those terms, you'll see all kinds of level of either loose or close affiliation with the school. And I think really, if we were just to summarize, could you tell me what those were? It's basically people, there's, and I'll make an overarching statement. No one that I know in the history of mankind has written down a life goal to say, one day I want to move into senior living. It's like, it's where you go because you have to. It's where you go because you have to, not because you want to. 
Right. And so my reflection when I say a recovering senior living developer is what is the core reasons that people don't want to move into these places? And at the end of the day, it reminds them of the end of their life. And so to be able to pull back and reflect to say, how do we build environments that are appropriate for all age through the end of your life, but are actively allowing for humans to crescendo? How, yeah. how do we create that? And so these UBRC, ULRCs, what was interesting was uh, they basically picked up a traditional senior living environment, which no one would necessarily want to live in unless they had to, and they moved it next to campus. So they created proximity. And, and so basically over the last, call it 10 to 30 years, the ones that have been built are better than everything else that was available, if that makes sense. Sure. What we said at the time, we outlined what we've in the process of kind of trademarking a standard that we would share with others of we're calling them collegiate intergenerational centers of excellence, CICE, collegiate intergenerational centers of excellence. And it kind of outlines 10 of the standards that we would say, looking back at what's been successful, how do we be, how do, how do we make these new collegiate environments for alumni to come back, knowing that boomers have a different expectation? How, how do we create an environment they would want to move to, not have to move to, right? And so one of those is it's got to be on campus. And so um, we're going before the Board of Regents over the next eight weeks with a large SEC school that's got a, a nationwide reputation, a Big Ten school that's got a real strong, longstanding nationwide reputation. And part of that is they said, we want you to be on campus for the alumni and friends of the university to be able to move back. And then we walk through a formal affiliation where the brand is on the building. It shows to the public that we are jointly tied at the hip. And then under that affiliation, we work through individual colleges within the university to uh, create affiliations of things that we commit to do with the School of Health and Human Services, to the things that we commit to do with the School of Architecture and Design. And as a quick snapshot of that, uh, the very first initiative we did, which made my heart sing, was uh, we're in the process of designing the building. It's a 14 and a half acre campus on the west side of Purdue. And um, as we were going through the design, the School of, of Interior Design, they had capstone project for their students. These are seniors, class of 20. And so we said, hey, who can we partner with now? Well, we can't come back after it's opening and redesign the building. And so uh, one of the professors there that leads the interior design program named Janelle Abini reached out and she said, I would love for our students to have an experiential learning event to design your community alongside your very seasoned internationally known architects. And so we had a series of, as they were designing it throughout their senior semester, we were designing it with our architects and we would show up with our architects and comment and, and gently critique um, about what worked. And the beautiful thing is they're able to say, hey, let us show you what we're actually doing. And so it really, guys, it's the tip of the iceberg for that experiential learning component. When you think about School of Pharmacy, School of Kinesiology, School of Occupational Therapy, Speech Therapy, um, Business and Marketing Students. And um, Purdue has one of the top uh, hospitality schools, White Lodging, um, Dr. Kirwin uh, King. She is uh, incredible and made, um, which is the Marriott families donated um, a great deal of money to stand up an incredible hospitality. But think about the students leading the concierge experience, having real experiential learning. That's just the tip of the iceberg. And so 
going back to what I said about UBRC, ULRC, UARC, great things for the last 30 years, we wanted to look and say, how do we make these better for the decades to come? And that's what we believe is these standards called sea ice that I kind of walk through. There's 10 of those. Wow. Well, um, let me give you the senior perspective on all this again, um, and especially a senior perspective from from. The Tell end. us, Bill. We want to know. Inquiring minds right. want to know. Well, you know, as I am now, someday you will be. Um, but this is incre right. <laughs> incredibly well thought out. I mean, I, I'm I'm just I'm blown away by by what you're saying here, because the for me the essence of this is that you create environments with someone in mind. And in particular, you're talking about the boomers mostly now, whereas in, in a lot of real estate and in a lot of similar kinds of situations to yours, you just throw up a building and say, okay, if you wanna live here, come on in. And I think that is really the key difference in what, in, in what you're describing. Well said, well said, yeah. And let me, let me shift a little bit, because then I have something that I want to talk to both of you about. Um, you know, clearly, if you look internal to what you're doing, you're having a social impact. And the social impact is not just on the residents of, of the places you're building, but also on the, on the students. Um, but if we take that externally, I mean, you've got an education community um, how do you take that out to the broader community? What's, what's your plan for community impact? Yeah, that's great. Um, uh, I don't know if you've seen the, the recent Netflix series about these blue zones, uh, Dan Buettner, and, and these are places in America where, I'm sorry, places in the world um, that Dan went kind of on a lifelong journey. I got exposed to that book about seven, eight, nine years ago. And it was, it was remarkable. Um, my wife and I, I had an autoimmune disease that I was on uh, medications for for a long time. And through food and movement, have been able to get to zero medications now. So it was already a heart cry for me that there's different ways than just through medication to solve. And part of it is you have to get out of the American ecosystem of medicine. Not that there's a knock on the American ecosystem of medicine, but for many, many years in Asia, and you kind of look around the world, there's been impactful types of medicine that have been used. And sometimes it just has to do with getting up and moving. And so um, the simple summary is, I think the, the, the docu-series did a great job um, outlining uh, these blue zones, which are areas where people are typically living past 100. So a core component in our development thesis on the real estate side is how do we take those power nine principles that are evidenced in these blue zones and start to incorporate them into the built environment and also into the programmatic educational ongoing environment. And so those kind of became pillars within how do we approach nutrition? How do we approach sleep? How do we approach movement? And so all of those things, for instance, we've built this uh, interesting, I'm gonna call it a pedestrian spine through the 14 and a half acres so if you outline and start studying nudge theory, nudge theory says that um, it's, it's terrible. If you look back at some of the um, uh, votes that have been done in the past, uh, and I'm, it's in society, it's nudging you to want to make a decision that 
whoever is, is uh, uh, asking for the decision would deem that it's better for you. And so there's been uh, votes that have been sham, meaning the box for yes and the box for no, the yes was bigger than the box for no. So the environment's pushing you to nudge. So through nudge theory, we've outlined um, it, that our residents are more inclined to walk because it's faster to get there than to get in a car or uh, a golf cart. And so we, we're using low powered vehicles. You were going back to your sustainability question, um, low powered vehicles. Um, to uh, allow our residents to move around campus, but it's easier and faster to do it through walking, which is how we're developing using this nudge theory, out their back door, back to a main building, back to campus, creating simple pedestrian spines to walk. So um, I went on a couple of different points there from uh, blue zones to programmatic to uh, nudge theory. So happy to follow whichever direction you wanna take on one of those. Well, I'm going to throw it over to Tony because, uh, you know, as, as someone who's, um, you know, up to your eyeballs in community-based uh, education, you must have some perspectives and questions on this. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's a, you're, first of all, Les, your, your passion around this is uh, extraordinary. Because, oh, thank <laughs> you for saying that. I've been accused of a lot of things, a lot of things in life, but very few times I'm accused of not having passion. Uh, yeah, so I appreciate there's a lot of passion in this and which is really important. Um, yeah, I think that one of the things that uh, we're constantly trying to do is reach the, the community, reach and engage the community. This is and this seems to be a great way to bring uh, the community to the campus. Right. And to engage them and to make them a bigger part of the greater community. Uh, it becomes very difficult. And sometimes like we're trying to do as much as we can to get out there because a lot of times people will drive by our campus, mm. a relatively large campus in the middle of now it's, it's still suburban, but um, sure. Miami, but, it's, but it's, it's congested here. And uh, so people will drive by, it's, we're out on a, like 250 acres in the middle of, you know, we're residential area, but people drive by and kind of drive by and drive by, not know exactly what's going on in here. A lot of times we try our best to get out there, but I think this is a great way to get people to uh, not only those people that are living on the say on the campus but i think that also turns into people having those conversations with people other people in the community as they engage them right those older individuals that are, yeah. are, are on the campus are now turning around telling their friends that are uh, somewhere else in the community about the great things that are happening on campus so i think it's going both ways it's it's obviously bringing people closer a whole group you know of individuals and 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 bettering their lives, but also I think the connections that they make then those informal connections that they're having with or informal interactions they're having with friends and kind of talking about talking up not only the, the community that you built, but also talking up, I think, the university or the college and what they're doing. So I think that's a a win-win uh all around uh for everyone. I, I did to see that Netflix um uh, uh, special or whatever on the blue zones. It's interesting. We don't yeah. have a lot of blue yeah. zones in this country because it seems like uh, it's Loma Linda, it was, California. Loma Linda, California is the one. That's, yeah, that's, that that's was it, documented. right? Or something like that. One blue zone. Um, so, you know, there's definitely um, opportunities to build more communities that have that intentionality. And I think that this, what you're talking about, definitely does that. Um, have you, so, yeah, I just like to see how this could work. You know, I, I'm just interested in seeing, and I know that you you said that you have a way of, of figuring out where it would work the best, even in an area like where we are in Miami, which is pretty congested, pretty, um, you know, there's a lot of traffic, there's a lot of stuff going on. People are trying to 
uh, kind of get away with from that, but they can't because they have to, you know, they, a lot of them want to live near their relatives, their children, you know, their grandchildren and things like that. Um, but at the same time, I think, I don't know, it could work. It could work in a, even in a, a densely populated area. It's just, it's just a whole different way of thinking about it where I've seen it. And for years, I've seen this in other communities, like, you know, very large universities that have, like you said, that, that base that people follow, go back to, or whatever the case may be. Um, but then there's institutions like ours here that already in that major metropolitan area, we have a lot of people who are reaching those 65 and older uh, group and uh, want to stay close to family, but give them another opportunity to live in a, in a much, uh, in an, an environment that's much more uh, suited for them, but yet keeps them very active and very engaged with, with, the, with the university or college community. I, I think there's so much good about what you um, said, Tony, it, it, as you look at where, where to build and how that works. I think um, one of the things that I've admired um, as I've engaged in people that I've looked up to for a long time um, is there's an endless curiosity about their life, meaning they may have all the wild success in the marketplace or um, maybe even personally, but there's this endless curiosity. And so we've adopted that same endless curiosity in a key component, one, uh, Florida State and Florida, if we were to use them as an example, or Michigan and Ohio State probably don't have the same affection towards things. There's bitter, lifelong, <laughs> documented rivalries, right? And so for sure. us to come in and say, when we go to a university, this is what we do, that would be suicide. Because as soon as they heard that their you know, bitter rival for a, a century is doing it, they'd say, we don't want it even if it's good for us, right? Because those, those emotions that we love to connect with end up being, uh, it's, it's bad. So what we always start our engagement with, once we execute an affiliation and identify land and we've kicked off the relationship, we start by investing tens of thousands of dollars in focus groups. So it, it, this was a crucial component. So those focus yeah. groups, you know, if you were to use the word senior living, which we already identified, no one in the history of mankind ever set a life goal to move to one of those places. If we're yeah. built, we call these generational living environment. So if we were going to build that, we need to go listen to the consumer base. The consumer base for senior living development is the older adult that is in need of clinical or, or, or physical help of some sort. Our user base of our varsity developments is alumni, the local community, professors and faculty, and students. So we hold separate um, separate uh, focus groups and we engage a group that does this uh, focus groups for uh, Red Bull, Facebook. I mean, it's they, they're a large national um, focus group, which was interesting. Many of those places shut down during COVID because they could, no one wanted to do focus groups. So, but we've engaged one of the top nationally and the feedback is tremendous. Students consistently, there's themes that start to come out and the students, as we've paid for these focus groups to be done, they'd say, we want natural light. We want uh, uh, strong Wi-Fi. We want um, uh, limitations of ambient noise, but we want pretty spaces. And these are thematic things that a student, well, if you think about it, they're studying in a library. So as we start building, what we build really matters. And so knowing that it's on campus, but it's a residential over retail environment. So our entire ground floor feels like a progressive upscale class A condo or multifamily development that the students now are, we're building what they said, if you build this, we'll come there. 
I still remember one recent focus group. Students were saying, if I go to Five Guys down the street, it's $15 to eat there. I can't afford that. If I go to Chipotle, it's $16 if I want a burrito with guacamole and a Coke. If you have chef, you know, nice food at a decent price, we'd be over there all the time. So at Purdue, we're putting in a food court because we talked with a couple of food trucks where they can come up and park and we're offsetting some of the cost that's there uh, to allow to have more affordable price. And then students get a discount inside. So what is that doing? It's engaging with our larger vision, which is how do we create opportunities for people that wouldn't have been in community otherwise start to form community? And like the rest of life, it happens around food. And so these, these in groups, so we listen to the locals through these focus groups about what amenities are built. And then we build that into our base area of our building. Um, and so that's, that's a, a couple of points, the way we feel confident that the larger community starts being involved and desiring to go to our community is it's known as a hub of things that were absent, craft coffee shop, artisan pizza grill, kind of all of those things, gelato shop that has been asked for. And those are easy because they're already in our program for our residents. Wow. Great. You know, I've, uh, I've got to say, I wondered what the heck this conversation was going to be like. And I've got to tell you, <laughs> you two surprised the heck out of me. Um, and Tony, that goes for you as well as Les. I appreciate that. I mean, I, I've Thank learned you. so much from, uh, from this. But unfortunately, we're going to have to wrap it up. And, and I have to tell you, this is one of the quickest passing <laughs> episodes that I've ever, uh, I've ever hosted. But we always ended up, Les, with uh, asking two questions of our guests. The first is, is there anything we didn't ask you that you want to say um, about what you do? And the second is, how do you see your impact on the future of higher education? Is there anything that we'd cover? I would go macro in my response to that and say, um, I think as a society, we've moved. So if I talked about society and then contrasted that with environments for aging, aging um, there's been a movement in society over the last you know, hundreds of years from, um, seg uh, we'll call it exclusion to segregation to this third point of integration, to this fourth phase of full inclusion, right? So exclusion and in, in segregation. And, and so exclusion is if you come over here, I'll kill you with my club, I'll beat you to death. And so uh, then segregation uh, said, we can live in the same city, but we're not gonna cross this line or drink from the same water fountain. And then integration is, you can come to my school, but you gotta ride a different bus than me. And you got to go to the same building, but you got to go to that different class. And you're seeing across society as they're moving towards creating all people, all ages, all ability, being able to live in community together. And really, senior living is built out of this more segregated environment. We said, how do we construct something that's moved like society towards a more inclusive environment, all ages, all abilities? And we believe that we're onto something. Um, there and I don't believe I think someone will come up with something even better than this. Our end goal is not to be, you know, a landmark movement. It's really to spur thinking, to question core beliefs about why in Asia or Latin America, when people get older, is white hair respected and admired, and in America, it's really you're old and slow. 
we're going to put you off to the side. And so I don't, hopefully in 40 years, my kids and other people that love me won't want to do that. We just fundamentally think that's not okay. And we wanted to do something about it. So, um, and I, I don't remember your last question. You'll spur me with that. How do you see your role in the future of higher education? Where are we going? Yeah, I think, yeah, the, the, in, uh, I was sitting with a um, SEC uh, president um, in his home uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about the challenges that they're facing with NIL, and there's so much changing, right? There's students moving to virtual learning, um, uh, it, it kind of enrollment changes, and uh, there's just a, a large change that's happening across um, the university push. And so I think our role will get universities um, at, uh, at faculty and administration to start considering that the student of the future is not the same as the student of the past. Mm -hmm. and, and where I've really enjoyed is, is because of my background interacting with older adults across uh, the country, I'm able to usher in to say, your user group may not be a student who's 18 looking to live off their parents. They actually may be an established former business person that's saying, I don't like my career. I've made my marks. I'd like to make a change. And, and they're coming willing to pay to say, I'd like to educate myself in a field I've never been in before. I, I think the dynamic, the conversation and the impact is to advance the conversation on a different user group of students going forward to the future. Terrific. Well, on the way out, let me first thank my guest co-host for today was Dr. Tony Cruz as the president at Miami-Dade College, the Kendall campus. Tony, thanks a lot. Thank you, Bill. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. Thank you, Les. And a special thanks to, uh, to Les Stretch, who is the managing principal at McNair Interests and oversees McNair Living. I think we, uh, we learned a lot uh, today, Les, so thank you very much. Yeah, appreciate you guys very much and appreciate what you're doing for higher education. So, ladies and gentlemen, you've just ed upped. Attention. It's time to register for Elucian Live 2024, April 7th through 10th in San Antonio, Texas. Illuminate, innovate, inspire, explore higher education's greatest opportunities with future ready ideas, solutions, and best practices designed to drive transformation. Register now at elive.elucian.com. This conference is going to be epic. Hey there, higher ed leaders. Are you thinking about joining the EdUp Experience podcast at Insights EDU on February 20th through 22nd in Phoenix, Arizona? 100%. I thought so. This is the go-to event for higher education marketing and enrollment management. At Insights EDU, you'll gain cutting-edge insights from industry experts, including speakers from companies like Google, LinkedIn, Adobe, Salesforce, and more. Become the transformational leader your campus needs by participating in discussions on important topics like online student demands and preferences, increasing affordability and accessibility, branding, measuring marketing performance, and much more. Insights EDU is the conference you need to attend in 2024. Register now at insightsedu.com and use the code EDUP to save $50 off your registration.